Hello, and welcome to Linux Action News, episode 258, recorded on September 14th, 2022. I'm Chris. And I'm Wes. Hello, Wes. Let's do the news. We start this week with the malware story that's leading headlines around the world of Linux. Dubbed Shiki Tega by the AT&T Alien Labs researchers who discovered it. It got that name for its extensive use of the popular Shikata Ganai polymorphic encoder, which allows the malware to adapt its code and avoid detection. Yeah, so the report says that using this encoder, the malware runs through several decode loops. Each loop, kind of like an onion, decodes the next layer until the final shellcode payload is decoded and executed. Once the malware is on the system and executed, it also downloads something called Metal, which is a Metasploit interpreter that gives the attacker the ability to control the affected system. Now, the AT&T researchers who discovered all this didn't say exactly how the initial infection occurs, but did say that Shikitege exploits two known vulnerabilities in Linux that were disclosed back in 2021. A great reminder to keep those systems patched. Now, the most common use of systems that do get exploited well, of course, it's to run the open-source multi-cryptocurrency miner application known as XMRig. But, as you mentioned there, Chris, they also install a powerful Metasploit package that gives attackers a few different capabilities, including controlling a webcam, stealing credentials, firing up reverse shells, or just installing whatever additional packages they feel like. Yeah, at that point, the box is basically theirs. And to further reduce the chances of getting caught, and to avoid the detection by a lot of different network security products, the attackers behind Shikitega use the legitimate cloud hosting service infrastructure out there as their command and control systems. Sneaky, sneaky. Now, that choice does cost more money and puts the operators of the malware at risk of being traced and identified by law enforcement. But it offers better stealthiness in compromised systems. I mean... Most enterprises these days already have a lot of traffic to cloud systems. It just makes it a lot harder to identify. Yeah, and you're not likely to just block all of AWS or something like that. The AT&T researchers report a sharp rise in Linux malware this year in general. And they've been advising system admins to just get your patches, get your security updates, use endpoint detection, and take regular backups of your most important data. Seems like good advice to us to hear more of our thoughts on the matter. Go check out episode 474 of Linux Unplugged. After 3,800 commits and nearly a year in development, OpenWRT 2203 has been released. For those of you who don't know, the OpenWRT project is a Linux operating system that targets embedded devices. It can be a complete replacement for vendor-supplied firmware on a wide range of wireless routers and non-network devices as well. One of the highlights this time around is Firewall 4. That's the new default firewall, and it's based on NF tables, finally retiring their old IP tables-based Firewall 3 system. OpenWRT2203 also adds support for more than 180 new devices, that brings the total number of supported devices to more than 1,500. It also includes some shiny new Wi-Fi 6 gear. That is really nice to see. So under the hood of 2203, you got Linux 510, BusyBox 1.35, 
And they're happy to report that the 2038 problem has been handled. There's also just some other great features in this release, like the new kernel subsystem for network switches. That could be really interesting. And obviously, the most important new update, the Lucy Bootstrap design, now supports dark mode. Finally. Maybe that means I won't have to do everything on the command line anymore. But jokes aside, there's a lot of good stuff that came together to make this a solid release. That 2038 problem in particular, well, that impacted 32-bit systems, and it was actually solved upstream in the Muscle C library. But being at the base of most packages, that meant getting the fix in place required a rebuild of nearly all user space applications. With that work done, though, if you've deployed a past release of OpenWRT, you can upgrade your system using sysupgrade. They say your configuration should be preserved in quote-unquote most cases, so maybe do a backup first. Do you know what's in your digital wallet? Well, maybe like most of us, you don't even have a digital wallet. But the Linux Foundation aims to change that with the newly announced Open Wallet Foundation. The Linux Foundation writes, quote, The Open Wallet Foundation, or OWF, will help to develop open source software to increase interoperability between digital wallets. Now, this is a pretty nebulous announcement. We couldn't get some of the details we wanted for you guys. Um, I don't know of a ton of these digital wallets out there, let alone needing to make them interoperate. And it doesn't seem that the Linux Foundation has any intention to create a new standard. And the OWF will not publish a wallet of its own. Rather, their goal is to just bring the community together to build an open source software engine, they say, that can be used by anyone to create digital wallets. The Linux Foundation's executive director, Jim Zimlin, said this, quote, We are convinced that digital wallets will play a critical role for digital societies. Open software is the key to interoperability and security. We are delighted to host the Open Wallet Foundation and excited for its potential. The OWF is a brainchild of Daniel Goldscheider, CEO of open banking startup Yes.com. Though today's announcement reveals there's actually a broad array of buy-in from multiple different industry players, including Okta, Ping Identity, Accenture, CVS Health, and the OpenID Foundation, among a few other different public and private entities. Well, if you want to know more about the Open Wallet Foundation, it was featured in a keynote presentation at the Open Source Summit in Europe, which, in theory, will have a video released to the public sometime, maybe, when they get to it. Also announced at the Open Source Summit Europe, the Linux Foundation is launching Linux Foundation Europe. And today we're announcing uh, a new structure at the Linux Foundation, our Linux Foundation Europe entity. This is a organization based in Europe of European incorporation that will allow European organizations to participate regionally here and have reciprocity with the Linux Foundation globally around the world. The Linux Foundation also announced the results of their first ever survey of the European open source community. They report that nearly half, 47%, of respondents said the value of open source software to their organization has increased over the previous 12 months. However, only 29% of survey participants said they have seen an increase in contribution efforts 
at their organization over the past 12 months. Closing this gap, however, will be part of the Linux Foundation Europe's mission, according to them, with messaging aimed at not only about how to contribute to open source, but why an organization should contribute to open source. Well, the Linux Foundation racked up yet another win this week when the company formerly known as Facebook announced that they'd be transferring the PyTorch project to the Linux Foundation. For a bit of context, as of August 2022, PyTorch was one of the world's five fastest-growing open-source software communities, alongside big names like the Linux kernel and Kubernetes. So you're probably not surprised to hear that PyTorch is by far one of the world's most important and successful machine learning software projects today. And so it's become pretty clear that it's outgrowing its place of origin in many ways. And the project noted in the announcement, quote, we are excited to work with project maintainers, contributors, and the community to transition PyTorch to a neutral home where it can continue to enjoy strong growth and rapid innovation. The announcement made by Mark Zuckerberg himself on Facebook, makes it clear that the new board and members will come from the commercial community, including representatives from Google, Amazon, NVIDIA, AMD, and Microsoft. Meaning they've made the official transition from the project that is seen as belonging to one company to now it's a project owned by all the big companies. And there's really a lot of big foundation energy coming off the Linux Foundation folks over all of this. They are stressing that this move makes PyTorch more industry neutral, and they believe that it's vital for future growth, writing, quote, by creating a neutral home, the PyTorch Foundation, we are collectively locking in a future of transparency, communal governance, and unprecedented scale for all. We've got some bad news for you Chromebook enthusiasts out there. It looks like the Google Pixelbook is no more with reports surfacing that not only has Google canceled the upcoming Chromebook, but it's also disbanded the team who are working on it. This might be a bit of a surprise. There were some hints that Google was working on a new Pixelbook as recently as last year's Google I.O. But like so many Google products, the main problem here was the high price. Add to that the lack of sales and just generally not a lot of interest for an expensive Chromebook, and I don't think this really is that surprising. It's kind of a repeat of a story we've seen a few too many times. Google makes something that's actually pretty good, but it doesn't really commit, and no one buys it, and it eventually gets canceled. Same old, same old. News at 11. Linode.com slash LAN. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account. That's a great way to support the show while you're getting yourself something. Linode is fast and reliable cloud hosting with the absolute best support in the business. Real humans every day, all day long. Linode's architected in a way where they had to compete on the merits of their business, the quality of their service, and their customer service. And that's probably why we run everything on Linode, because that culture has permeated deep into Linode, and it makes everything stable, reliable, fast, easy dashboard, great API, good documentation. When you start at the point of we have to compete on the merits of our product, it really makes the whole thing great. I, may, I, I just really connect with that. And they've been doing this for nearly 19 years. They're not 
a big player in this market because they got a bunch of crazy funding. And so they just built something overnight and just tried to get as much users as possible to then make it profitable. That's not why Linode's big. Linode isn't my favorite place to host services because they built a book business first that needed a lot of infrastructure. And so then they started reselling their excess capacity. And, you know, (laughs) that's not how they did it. You know what I'm going to say. They did it by building something great. That's why they're willing to give you $100 to go try it out, to kick the tires and see what Linode can do for you. And they're 30 to 50% cheaper than those hyperscalers out there. They have 11 data centers around the world for you to choose from. Great features such as S3 compatible object storage, cloud firewall, simple, clear backups, Kubernetes support, Terraform support, Ansible support. I could go on and on. They've got a price to performance ratio that's going to work for you. You're really going to like it. So go build something. Go learn something and try it for yourself while you support the show. Go to linode.com slash land. Get that $100 in 60-day credit and kick the tires for yourself. See what we've been talking about. Linode.com slash land. And a big thank you to Collide for making this episode possible. Collide.com slash land. Collide is endpoint security that uses the most powerful untapped resource in IT, the end users. If you're trying to achieve security goals, maybe it's for yourself, maybe it's for a third-party audit, maybe it's for a boss, the conventional wisdom is you got to treat every device like it's Fort Knox. Old-school device management tools like MDMs, they force disruptive agents onto your devices. They make the computers run slower, they often are restrictive, and sometimes, if not always, they seem to bring their own vulnerabilities with them. They just has a way of pitting the user's against IT. I don't like that vibe. It's not good. You don't want the two camps to be enemies. You don't want to bring in something that creates its own security problems and then users perform their own shadow IT to get around it. That always breaks down. Collide does things differently. Instead of forcing changes on users, Collide sends them security recommendations via Slack. Collide will automatically notify your team when their devices are insecure and give them step-by-step instructions on how to solve the problem by reaching out to employees via friendly Slack DM and then educating them about company policies. Collide can help you build a culture in which everyone contributes to security because everyone understands how and why to do it. And for IT admins, Collide provides a single dashboard that lets you monitor the security of your entire fleet. Maybe they're on a Mac, Windows, or yeah, of course, Linux. You can see at a glance which employees have their disks encrypted, their OS up to date, and a password manager installed, making it easy to prove compliance to your auditors, your customers, or leadership. So that's Collide, user-centered, cross-platform, and security for teams that Slack. You can meet your compliance goals by putting users first. Visit collide.com slash land to find out how. And when you go there, They're going to hook you up with a free goodie bag that includes a t-shirt just for activating a free trial. That's right. Free swag for a free trial. So that's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash L-A-N. Collide dot com slash LAN. As we record, the Linux Plumbers Conference is underway. It's billed as the premier event for developers working at all levels of the Linux plumbing layers and often focuses on new features and systems being built for Linux. This year, it's taking place in person and remote 
in Dublin, Ireland. And as you might expect, an event like this is very technical. The information density in the videos that we have linked in the notes is extreme. And something else that won't surprise you, I bet, is Rust in the Kernel is one of the more popular topics this year, and specifically a talk that was given by a Western Digital staffer. So my name is Andreas, and I'm with Western Digital, and I'm going to talk about work I've been doing on an NVMe driver written in Rust. Now, you might ask yourself, why are they working on a Rust-based NVMe kernel driver when the existing C-based driver is in pretty good shape? Well, there are actually a few pretty good reasons. To start, it's just a relatively straightforward job without a lot of weird, complicated corner cases. It's also a good test because this is a high-performance code path, so it can kind of put Rust to the test. It's also pretty widely deployed and easy to test. And that existing C implementation, well, it can function as a mature reference implementation to compare the new guy to. And very impressively, the early Rust code that was on demo at the talk, it's keeping up with the tried and true C-based driver. And we see that for uh, the SN840 drive, we do like around 700 IOPS. And for the uh, um, Optane drive, we do uh, twice that number. And the C, the, you can see the C and the Rust driver uh, perform uh, quite similarly. And in what seems like a great indication of just how fast the progress has been here, that new Rust driver can actually achieve the maximum throughput possible on the drive. In the uh, unloaded system, the, both drivers are able to push the, the drives to their rated uh, specification. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. There were also other Rust goodies demonstrated, including a File 9 server, modern OpenCL features using Rust. But the conference itself, the Linux Plumbers Conference, it spans all aspects of Linux plumbing. It's not just a Rust event. And it has been live streaming the entire time. Yeah, just right over on their YouTube channel. It's pretty easy to find, and if you do take a look, you'll find a treasure trove of technical videos, talks, debates, and a whole lot more. One thing that caught my eye was a new development with IOU Ring. Now, if you've forgotten, IOU Ring is a mechanism for quickly performing a batch of operations within the kernel on behalf of a user space process. You can kind of think of it as something of the new default mechanism if you need to perform multiple syscalls all at once. Now, early on, as the name might suggest, the main use case for IOU Ring has been asynchronous I.O., where expensive context switches between user space and kernel space can be a real limitation and add to your latency. But, much like friend of the show EBPF, IOU Ring has started to find a myriad of different use cases in the kernel, including a fascinating recent attempt at implementing block devices in user space. And at the Plumbers Conference this week, we learned of yet another potential use area that the kernel could benefit from this model, spawning new processes. This new work comes from Josh Triplett, a former notable Intel Linux engineer and co-lead of the Rust language team. He's been focused on build systems recently, and if you've ever worked in that space, you know these build systems spawn a huge number of processes. So as it stands now, spawning a process consists of basically three steps. 
you create the new process, you twiddle the attributes of the new process, and then you load the new process image. And for this, well, we presently have three choices. You can fork, v-fork, and you can POSIX spawn. Fork is by far the most common of those methods, going back to the early days of Unix. But it comes with a fair bit of complexity and overhead. That's where those other two mechanisms come in, vfork and POSIX spawn. They do allow you to avoid some of those downsides, but that too comes at a price. POSIX spawn, for instance, only permits a very limited set of twiddling. And, well, vfork is considered so unsafe that it's difficult to recommend to anyone but an expert. And so, thus was born IOURing Spawn, a mechanism for launching empty new processes with an associated IOURing. The goal here is to handle the pre-exec steps when you're launching a new process entirely in the kernel, with no user space required, eliminating the need for calling fork or even vfork and eliminating some of the overhead that comes from having to copy page table information. Now, we should probably stress here that this work is really just getting started, but early benchmarks show that IOURing spawn is much faster than fork or POSIX spawn, and it's even up to 10% faster than vfork while being a whole lot safer and more flexible. And according to Josh, he and Jens Axbo, the IOU ring and block device subsystem maintainer, and as we've mentioned here on the show, something of a performance optimization wizard himself, well, they have plans in the works to speed things up even more. I love that. You get a real sense that there are some performance hounds on the job these days, and they are laying the foundation for massive optimizations that no doubt will benefit the enterprise, but are absolutely going to benefit everyday Linux users as well. You really see the work of the future getting started today at the Plumbers Conference. And this is just one of those chances we have as free software users to watch this stuff get made and discussed and demonstrated and debated in real time. You can really follow the leading edge of development, so check out the links in the show notes. And of course, we'll keep an eye on all of it and everything in the world of Linux and open source. So don't miss a single episode of Linux Action News. Go over to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get new episodes. And linuxactionnews.com slash contact to let us know about exciting new use cases for IOU Ring that you're considering. And we are hitting the road for our West Coast tour. If you're up and down the I-5 corridor, check out meetup.com slash Broadcasting and sign up for one of our meetups. We'd love to see you. But don't worry, even if you can't make it, this show will be back next week with our take on the latest Linux and open source news. Thanks for joining us. And that's all the news for this week.